Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Grossman, the CEO of the Atlas Society, and welcome to our sixth episode of Ask the Atlas Society. And it's a great honor to have with me here today uh, a friend, an inspiration, um, and a wonderful partner. Richard Lorenz is Executive Vice President of FEE. Uh, hey, Richard. Hi, Jen. It's great to see you. Great to be on the episode. It's great to see you too. Now, you know, uh, we didn't coordinate this. There was no dress code, but um, clearly uh, you, you got some kind of memo. Tell me a little bit about that, uh, that lapel pin. Well, we are big fans of the lapel pin at Fee. We have many of them. Over the years, yeah. we've made logos, we've made uh, different figures uh, to represent our, our thought. But one of my favorites is the one that I'm wearing now, which is actually a dollar sign that is made out of two pencils. And the reason we put this together is uh, we wanted first to spark conversation when we're wearing it because yeah. we could say something like it talks about the economic value of an education in economics. Uh, but also we wanted to represent two things. One is the I pencil essay that our founder Leonard Reed wrote and talks about the parable of the market process. And then the other thing is uh, the reason you wear your dollar sign lapel pin is in recognition of uh, Ayn Rand's thoughts and the value of, of money. And I always think when I look at this one and look at yours, I think of Ayn Rand saying that savings buy time. And I think about that a lot these days. You know, and I've been thinking about iPencil actually a lot because um, iPencil is sort of the process of how, you know, you make a pencil and all of the different elements that come into it. And, you know, between iPencil and Atlas Shrugged, we're, we're living through that right now, right? We're kind of making our own um, masks. We're, 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 you know, having to forage for food. Uh, and it really gives us an appreciation for um, the free enterprise system and individualism and uh, a, a firsthand lesson of uh, what happens when you know the blunt instrument of government um, steps in and takes over and um, and the economy shuts down. So, anyway, uh, thank you for that. I also just wanted to, for our viewers and listeners, I wanted to thank you as our partner. Um, we've had a very robust partnership with Fee. Fee has distributed over uh, at least fifteen hundred. I, I kind of lost count of our Anthem graphic novel um, to students at at their many many summer seminars and conferences. Um, you, you guys are always a great partner in sharing our, our, our videos, um, sharing truth and toleration, pocket guide to objectivism. So um, that we have so much in common in terms of our first principles with you guys. And um, I also just feel a special bond because I remember uh, when I wrote Can You Love God and Ayn Rand, I um, got an outreach from, from you guys to say that you appreciated the big tent approach to to kind of building liberty so um i understand you have a, a few questions so um i have a few questions for you but why don't you go ahead i would love to ask you questions yeah uh, from a moment ago what you were saying about our our trying times it makes me think of something that our senior fellow anthony davies says every once in a while capitalism looks like socialism does all the time and only then for a very short amount of time. And I think that's one of the things that we are trying to teach our youth audience at Fee these days in our pivot to the fully online format. We typically go into schools 
but yeah. because the government schools are all closed and everyone's at home, we're now going online. And so my real first question to you kind of gets to the purpose of philosophy for our student audience, because this is something that we're trying to teach people between the ages of 16 and 22. We talk about the freedom philosophy, and you mentioned big tent. We call it ecumenical. The freedom philosophy includes limited government, individual freedom, free market economics, strong moral character, many of the things that really are assigned to objectivism too. And so my real question for you, Jen, to begin the conversation is, um, during these extraordinary times, sort of what is the role of philosophy for someone who's of a student age? Um, well, I think that's a great question. I, I think that, first of all, we need to think of what, what do we mean by philosophy? I think it's, it's sometimes it can be um, easy to think of philosophy as this ivory tower concept, and certainly it can be studied academically. We were founded by Princeton-trained philosopher David Kelly. Um, our senior scholar is uh, Stephen Hicks, who's also a philosopher and has a specialty in um, objectivism and was going to be speaking at, you know, VCon, which before it got shut down, I hope we'll have another opportunity to have him bring his, um, his message to, to your students. I'm not um, a philosopher. I'm a business person. My perspective on um, philosophy is that it's a practical system of principles that guide your actions so that you don't have to uh, just approach every situation that you encounter as if, you know, it's ad hoc or happening from um, for the first time. So Ayn Rand made the point that we, we all have a philosophy. We don't have a choice about that we need a philosophy. Uh, you can only make a choice about, you know, whether and how you choose your philosophy. Is it um, something that you choose through a conscious and disciplined um, process of, of logical thought, or is it something that you just accumulate, um, accumulate by, by default? and um, that it, it fuses together into a, a solid weight, as she said, of self-doubt, you know, um, which holds your mind down where, uh, where your mind's wings should sprout. Um, I think you can use your philosophy uh, to protect yourself. Um, you know, you can use, if, if you have others who are not using um, philosophy, they may not be uh, operating in a logical way. They may not be operating in a way that is in their, their long-term rational self-interest. Um, they may not be operating uh, from the principle of not sacrificing others to themselves or not sacrificing themselves to others. And so, um, so you can, you know, protect yourself from fraud, you can protect yourself from, from wishful thinking. You know, I, I say, I, I do wear a mask, but I wear it like this. My dad makes me wear it because my dad's a doctor and he's right and I do wear it. But you wear your mask like this and not like this, yeah. you know. Don't wear your mask like that. And um, I, I used to have this debate with, with David Kelly, like, uh, who am I to be debating with David Kelly? But you know, and I was kind of still new to the job, and I was saying, you know, you know, we were just hitting envy every single day, and um, I said, David, like, okay, um, Ayn Rand talked about religion as sort of an early form of philosophy, of having an early form of, of principles of how to treat each other and what is reality and how do you discover reality. Um, 
But, you know, in objectivism, what's like the absolute worst thing that you could do? It's ending, right? That's the, that's the worst thing. And he said, no, it's, it's evasion. It's mm. evasion. It's avoiding the truth. It's avoiding the responsibility of, of thinking. And, um, you know, right now we need to think. We, we, uh, Ayn Rand talked about um, man's mind as his basic means of survival. So if there was ever a time when we really needed to think about survival and think long-term, um, now would be it. I think it's really valuable what you said, Jen, about actively choosing your philosophy and not letting it happen to you in a passive way. Um, thinking through things from their premises and working through in an intellectual way, not just letting things, as you said, accumulate through experience, which of course we all learn through experience and that's helpful, but to choose the type of mental models that you want to employ and what you believe to be true. And I really like the definition of objectivism that I was reading on your site a little bit earlier today, which is that it's a philosophy rooted in reality, reason, and individualism. And you write uh, on your bio, actually, that when you took the job, you felt like the world needed that more than ever when you started at the Atlas Society. And we at Fee talk about how the world needs the ideas that Fee talks about today more than ever too, because there are so many young people who in many other uh, consequential events, just like 9-11 and World War II and the Vietnam War, uh, the financial crash of 2008, 2009, they are forming their philosophy now. And so the world needs a clear message of individualism, reason, and uh, reality I think it's true to say more than ever before, right now. And I think the value of philosophy that you laid out for students is perfect. It's a shield. It's a way to protect yourself from, from being taken advantage of either intellectually or physically. Yes, to, to protect yourself, um, but also to accomplish your goals, you know, to, um, Rand talked about your, your pursuit of happiness as, um, as your, your highest moral ideal and productivity as man's noblest achievement. So, um, so yes, protect yourself, you know, but also how do you think through what are the values that are going to help you um, achieve success in life? And I think that um, the, the values that Ayn Rand talks about and the fact that she also, which was really revolutionary, kind of lionized um, inventors and scientists and entrepreneurs and builders. Um, you know, these are, these are characters uh, in books that are, that are living values and sometimes living mixed premises values. And so it's a really wonderful dramatization of that. But, you know, I've, uh, I have not been through anything quite like this, but I've been through, um, you know, 9-11. I was in New York when that happened. I have um, been, uh, you know, had my, my house burned down and everything that, you know, I own. So I've been through sort of natural disasters. And this is a combination of a natural disaster and a man-made disaster. Um, I've been, you know, I've, I've lost jobs. I, I worked at Dole and it, you know, at some point that, economics of the, the world changed and it got sold off to different countries in part because of tax rates, you know, lower corporate tax rates overseas. It made more, you know, interest for the, for the company to, to sell those, uh, sell those components of the, of the company off. But, you know, in every time, one of the things that I've kind of fallen back on is this 
principle that, you know, every bad situation can be made worse. And um, so it's really how we act under, under pressure, how we act uh, when we're facing crises um, that can build those character uh, traits and, and build that mental muscle, you know, that, that you need um, in order to work through difficult situations. Um, and also, you know, I mean, where a lot of us are, are, are losing our jobs, we're losing our livelihood, we're losing our freedoms, um, and, you know, we, we want to survive, and we, we might have an opportunity to reinvent ourselves. I've had to do that a few times in my life. So I, I think having these, these principles um, uh, can, can help you in a practical and a principled way work through uh, both the crisis and, you know, the potential opportunities that that lie, lie beyond it. I like what you're saying about attitude, and I'm a big fan of stoicism as a philosophy. Yeah. I've read a lot by Marcus Aurelius, and I love, I have his meditations in my nightstand to reference every now and then. Um, I was reading something else that you had written on your website recently about the Atlas Society's response to the pandemic. And you wrote in there about not only doubling down on pro productivity and undertaking new major projects, but you also say uh, the right attitude is important. You talk about benevolence, cheerfulness, gratitude, spunk, and humor. And I think having those qualities, I think gratitude out of those that you named, I think is the most important for me during this crisis. But just putting yourself in that frame of mind where you can feel those things and you can see the world with those it, through those lenses is vital to surviving anything like this. Yeah, um, gratitude is a huge one for, for me, and it was really an interesting challenge uh, for all of us at, at the Atlas Society when our chairman, Jayla Pear, said, um, I want you to, no, I'm not. Oh. Uh, that's my ringtone, sorry. I love um, it. <laughs> you know, you gotta have a little bit of fun. And uh, so, you know, I, I uh, you know, it triggers certain people to hear that, that song. I don't really, I, you know, have any connection to Alabama. I live in Malibu. I'm on lockdown in San Francisco, but you know, that and this. Helping people to just, you know, develop more strength and resilience and just, you know, understand. And plus maybe I'll call some dogs around me. No, my dad says dogs are surfaces. I know a lot of dog lovers out there, but dogs are surfaces, so be so be careful. Um, but fortunately, here, you know, under mixed capitalism, we, we essential businesses are the stores to uh, to feed human beings to feed dogs. Okay, under yeah. communism, you have dogs which are being used to feed human beings. So yeah. um, anyway, sorry, I got. And, and the situation that we experience is abundance, which is not the natural state of the world. Poverty is the natural state of the world. So to even have, like you said, stores to feed people and stores to feed pets is such yes. an amazing thing that we just don't acknowledge on a daily basis. And it only happens through capitalism. It, absolutely. And abundance um, is also a wonderful, wonderful theme. I'm... Um, happy to say that it's a huge theme. I haven't, we haven't announced it, I hope we're announcing it today, 
that our honoree at our fall gala is Peter Diamandis, wow. who wrote, you know, the book on abundance and uh, wrote, you know, about the importance of having data-driven optimism. But, um, but I, I think I was, before I got distracted by my silliness, uh, I was talking about your theme of gratitude and how um, our board had said, you know, guys, I, I know it wasn't really something that Ayn Rand, you know, it's not in the archives, but like I wanted to, we're open objectivists, challenge us, like how do you, you know, how would we think of gratitude um, as, as objectivists? And, you know, is it in your, is it just like something God told you to be grateful or, you know, is it in your rational self-interest to be grateful? And so we did our Draw My Life. My name is, is Gratitude. And um, it really does, you know, give you a sense of, of, of just a greater ballast in the world. If you're just constantly thinking of, uh, you know, this one did me wrong or this is a terrible situation, you feel powerless, you know, when you're feeling powerless and you're feeling victimized, even when you really are victimized. Okay, um, it's harder to kind of just get it together in order to to get yourself back back on your foot, your feet. The question so I, is, what can I control, right? Right. It all comes back to that, and why be necessarily worried as much about the things that are totally outside of your control? So, what are you? What 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 is on your gratitude list these days? Um, I could take the very easy answer and and sort of name the type of free daily gratitudes that I typically have, food, shelter, uh, a cool house when it's warm outside, a warm house when it's cold outside. Um, but I typically try to look for more mundane things, I guess, um, like the fact that you and I can actually be interacting over vast space and be recording this conversation for everyone to see outside of our own, uh, you know, eyes and ears here. Um, so I'm grateful for technology. I'm grateful for an organization such as FEE and such as the Atlas Society um, that exists that actually employs us and our colleagues to be able to teach ideas. I mean, think about such a luxury that that actually is um, when there are people in the world who live in systems that don't allow them to escape poverty. Um, I'm thankful for help. Uh, and I'm thankful for the fact that despite uh, that we're not actually visiting and going to grocery stores or going to restaurants as often as we do, that I still get to have, make, or have delivered to me delicious food. So it's, it can be, I think, the more mundane it is, the better it grounds you and the better it makes you realize that this world was created through the actions of individuals operating amongst ideas that work, more or less ideas that work, ideas that can work better, but this world that we live is a world created by people and not me. And, and they might not care about me. They might not even uh, want to associate with me, but I'm benefiting from their creativity and their ingenuity and their hard work. And I hope that others can say the same about me. Well, I know I can. Um, and I think what you're mentioning also is just being great, grateful for relationships um, and grateful for some of the, the great minds like that of Ayn Rand, the great literature that continues to inspire us, but also, you know, gratitude as a buffer 
and a self-protective mechanism because what we're also seeing now and again, you know, it's part of not covering our eyes and pretending that it, that it isn't happening, that, that, there, that evil does exist in the world, um, that there are um, people who are, don't necessarily have, you know, our best interests at heart. Um, you know, there are, socialism is, is on the rise in terms of its popularity. And, uh, you know, some of its biggest purveyors are just co constantly um, pounding the, the drum of calling, you know, the 1% greedy. But Ayn Rand talked about greed properly under, uh, understood as the desire for the unearned. So those, you know, proponents of socialism, those proponents of collectivism, those proponents for, uh, for, for, for greater redistribution, greater government control, um, they, they are using, they, they are using victimhood, they are using um, entitlement, you know, they are using resentment. And these are all things, you know, that, that some of us, we, we carry within ourselves. And so in order to, you know, as we search for inoculations, as we search for ways to protect ourselves, uh, gratitude is, is a wonderful, wonderful spiritual shield against these other kinds of viruses that, um, that, that bad actors are, are using in order to, uh, to promote um, political agendas that are quite the antithesis of the kinds of principles on which um, America was founded. And it reminds me um, that what Ayn, how Ayn Rand described uh, America as in its, its founding principles, um, the noblest, the greatest, and in its founding principles, the, the, the only moral uh, country on the face of the earth. So I think in this time of great pain, in this time of, of great um, chaos, in this time of great uncertainty, it's important to remember those principles that, that you at FEE are um, promoting tirelessly and to use this time in lockdown to, to educate ourselves with, with the courses that you guys are offering online and all of the wonderful content you know, that you guys are putting out. I'm uh, among my, on my gratitude list. I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Yeah, my I appreciate that. Fee.org has videos, daily articles. We have a new learning center that we're uh, sharing with teachers and parents so that they can actually take their students through courses uh, about prices, about price gouging wow. in many cases. Yeah, you guys uh, have the best stuff on that. Price it's gouging stuff. Yeah, it, it's vital. Um, but what you were saying uh, about about America, I think, is is really important to me too. Because my father is an immigrant from communist Poland. He came here at the age of nine, and he moved to Chicago. And I remember he always talks about the fact that he was picked up in the from the airport in a pink Cadillac convertible. So that was first the biggest surprise. But then he also, when he got to his aunt's house later that evening, got to take his first bath with running water. It would have been a bath in. Uh, you know, a tin canister in the kitchen uh, that you'd have to fill from the well before, but to have running water just fill this basin up uh, in a home was just totally outside of his, his understanding. And so it was through his experience and his sharing this with us at the dinner table that I first became very interested in these ideas. Um, wow. And he came from a situation that most people in this country could never dream, never. And again, it's built on good ideas executed by individuals pursuing their highest, best use. 
And I think of that when I think of Ayn Rand's books. My, my favorite of Ayn Rand's books is actually yes. The Fountainhead. Really? Um, because, well, my dad's an architect. Okay. He, he, he introduced it to me. Um, and when I opened up the prologue or the foreword, whichever she wrote, um, I started tearing up because I felt like she was talking directly to me in that first page of the book. And of course, the story is fabulous. And, and the story is a great way to convey ideas. But the way in which she wrote that book is the one that most resonates with me. And of course, I got it from my dad, which makes it even that much more special. That, okay, well, we're gonna have to stop it there because um, I, I absolutely cannot, uh, cannot top that. I, I did not know that story. And um, it makes me uh, all the more committed to strengthen this partnership because obviously, uh, like your dad, Ayn Rand was also a, a refugee from um, totalitarian communism. And we have, we have a lot of uh, our students, I'm sure you do as well, including students who um, are refugees from Venezuela who, uh, who tell their story and they say, guys, I mean, this is what's, what you're living through right now. This is what socialism looks like, you know, when you have to go out and hunt and keep on going and trying to find where the, you know, where you might get supplies. So. Um, so wonderful time, uh, wonderful book rec recommendation. Also, not my, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Ayn Rand book, but, but also We the Living, which was, was her first, would be a good, a good one to, to remember uh, right now. So uh, what else should, should we be reading? And we'll close on that. I'm now uh, I pencil. Yeah, I pencil's great. Economics in One Lesson is a yep, one that Hazlitt. we refer to all the time by Henry Hazlitt. That's available, no charge on fee.org. Uh, the Law. Frederick Bastiat. The, the three, I Pencil, The Law, and Economics in One Lesson are kind of our, our main trilogy that we'll give to students at our seminars and try to refer people to whenever they call us up or send us an email. I'm reading currently a book that's been sitting on my nightstand for a while. It's by Neil Ferguson, The Tower in the Square, and it's all about networks and the value of networks. Um, it opens up with some interesting conversations about the Illuminati and the Rothschilds and how everyone tends to think uh, that progress happens through big formal institutions such as governments, right? And that most historians examine the documents that are immaculately kept by governments and formal institutions. But in so many ways, he argues that the progress of the world and what actually happens is through these mostly informal, uh, not hierarchical kind of networks that connect people. And it goes back to what I tell students all the time when I'm mentoring them or having a, a speech on how to further your career. It's all about who you know. And I truly believe that to be the case. So this book really speaks to that. And so I recommend that. I love Neil Ferguson uh, as an author generally. I think his, his histories are awesome. Okay, I will add that. Hopefully, I'm, I'm sure it's on Audible. That's how I, I, I managed to read so much. But I will put that on my reading list, and you will see it in some um, Atlas Society memes coming up, and we will tag uh, Fee, our wonderful partner. And um, I hope to see you in person on the other side, but otherwise, we, we could do another one of these. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Likewise, Jen. Had a great time, and stay healthy. Thank you. Namaste. Bye-bye.